Welcome to Kuhau Podcast. We thank you for tuning in. If this is your first time listening in with us, we want you to know that you are a part of a new loving family. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope that this message encourages you and transforms your life. Now stay tuned for today's message. And it says this, But Mary stood outside the tomb weeping. As she wept, she knelt to look into the tomb and saw two angels sitting there, dressed in white, one of one at the head and the other at the foot of where Jesus' body had been laid. They said to her, Woman, why do you weep? They took my master, she said, and I don't know where they put him. After she said this, watch this, it says, She turned away and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't recognize him. She sp- Jesus spoke to her, Woman, why do you weep? Who are you looking for? She, thinking that he was the gardener, said, Mister, if you took him, tell him where tell me where you put him so I can care for him. Verse 16, it says, Jesus said, Mary, now watch this, turning to face him, she said in Hebrew, Rabboni, meaning teacher. Verse 17, Jesus said, Don't cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go to my brothers and tell them, I ascend to my father and your father, my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went telling the news to the disciples. I saw the master and she told them everything he had said to her. I want to jump over now to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. Powerful verse. It says, For God who said, Let there be light in the darkness has made his light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God. Watch. That is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. That last part. So that we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Christ. Help me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We're so grateful, God, that in these moments we get to celebrate your death and your life death and resurrection we get to celebrate what you accomplished on the cross of Calvary we get to celebrate God that you did not just die for our sins but you resurrected to give us salvation and new life Father we pray Lord that this message may speak to us like never before in Jesus name we pray Amen and Amen now Fusiforum gyrus. Fusiforum gyrus. Fusiforum gyrus. You, you probably think it's Pastor Rose speaking in tongues. I'm not speaking in tongues. I'm actually speaking in English. And what fusiform gyrus is, it is the structure in the temporal lobe of your brain that is uh, attributed to processing color, body, language. It's also attributed to the part of your brain that recognizes faces. It's actual, it's a part of your brain that is attributed to facial recognition. Facial recognition is important because did you know that your faces communicate more to other people about you than your words do? Now, why is this important? Because this is exactly what the problem in my marriage was in the first few years. The first couple of years in my marriage, I spent probably the early part of our years asking Lisa three questions and or three word questions and it's are you okay 
Are you okay? Are you upset? Is everything okay? Why? Because I would tell her, like, baby, you, you're, you look like you're angry. And she'd be like, no, this is my face. And I'd be like, okay, I get it. I'm, she's like, I'm okay, I'm okay, everything's all right. I'm good, Every, baby, I'm good. I'm like, okay, if you're good, you just have to send a notification to your face because your face communicates to me that you are <laughs> upset. You're extremely upset. And I can't, I'm looking at you and I'm like, man, I, I feel a little awkward because you look upset. And she's like, no, I'm okay, I'm actually fine. This is my resting face. I'm like, well, you don't look rested. And she's like, this, no, this is, this is just my normal face. No, baby, you look angry. She's like, no, this is my resting face. I'm fine, but now I'm getting upset because you continuously accuse me of being upset when I'm not upset, but I am okay. And you don't understand that this is just my regular resting face. She would make me feel weird and, un and, and angry. And, and I just think about this because uh, our faces are constantly communicating something. Our faces are... Her face was constantly communicating to me beyond her words. And I did extensive research on facial recognition. In other words, I watched an episode of Brain Games. And what I've discovered is that your face is constantly communicating. Your faces and the faces that we make, your faces are, is the tool of social expression. Um, your face in less than 200 milliseconds can recognize another face. It's, it's, the reason that why, it's the reason why we can see the, the, a car and we can make a face out of a car. It's the reason why you could be in the dark and you look at something in your closet and it looks like a face is looking at you because your brain has been programmed to recognize faces. It can pick up the eyes. It can pick up the nose. It can, it can pick up jaw lines and it can pick up haircuts, even though some of us have not had a haircut in months, but it could pick up Haircuts, faces are what your brain determines whether a person can be trustworthy or not. It's your faces that communicate whether you're happy. It's your face that communicates whether you are angry. It's your face that communicates whether you are worried or, or you're in a panic. Or Your face is what communicates whether you are bewildered and confused. It's, it's your face that is constantly communicating your feelings. But this is what fascinates me about this understanding about facial recognition is that your face not only communicates what you're feeling, but your face actually begins to project and telegraph on how others should be feeling. This is why when someone stares at you, you feel real awkward. Like, like why is he look, why is he, he's looking at me. I, and this is why we have a problem when someone stares at, yo, what you looking at? What does it matter what they're looking at, right? But it's something about them looking at us that makes us feel awkward. This is why when, when someone that you have a special interest in smiles at you, you get filled with excitement and butterflies rush through your being and you're filled with joy. This is also why when someone looks at you with, with disappointment, it makes you feel a way. Your face is constantly communicating something, but your face actually has the power to telegraph feelings in other people. And the way people look at us has the power to telegraph and inject in us feelings that we experience. Generally speaking, your 
facial expressions are constantly communicating. In fact, 7% of what we communicate is done through words, generally speaking. Statistics show, right? This is a study that's been showed, and there are exceptions to this study, but generally speaking, what we're communicating is done 7% through our the words that we use. 38% of what we communicate is done in the tone of why of how we use or how we use those words. But 55% of what we are communicating is done through our facial expression and also our body language. And I thought this, that if this is true, if this is true, if what is being communicated is done more than words, but also our facial expressions, then what does God look like when he looks at you? What is God communicating to us when God looks at us? How about this? How about what kind of face do we project on God when we are reading his word? See, because again, word is just 7% of what's being communicated. But if we read God's word and we are reading God's word with a, a, a God whose facial expression is one that is disappointed of his people, then how are we reading and understanding and inflecting uh, or inferring tone into the words that we read? Does God look at us with a disappointed face? Does God look at us with a face of an employer that makes us feel like employees? Does God's face look at us like a commander that makes us feel like a soldier? Does God's face look Look at us like a judge that makes us feel simply as a participator in a courtroom. What does God's face look like? Now, here's the truth. We read it last week. No one has ever seen God's face. But if we could see God's face, would we even want to? What kind of face is God looking at us with? It fascinates me, this verse that we read, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, because what it speaks about is the face of Jesus Christ. It tells us what we can find when we look at the face of God. Look at the way it, it reads. It says, For God who said, Let there be light in the darkness, has made the light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. So much effort has been made about the face of Jesus Christ. What did Jesus physically, visibly earthly what does his earthly face look like well you need to look no further than a google search to discover the images of the shroud of turin and and what people have speculated this to be the face of jesus you need to look no further than medical artists trying to recreate or create the image of the earthly jesus we are enamored in understanding well what does god's face look like what does jesus's face look like moses had this curiosity well what does god lord show me your face and god says because of the radiance of my holiness you i'll pass you by and you'll be able to see my back i'll cover your face but you will not be able to look upon my face many people say but it says that moses spoke to him face to face it does not imply that he actually looked at his face but what it does suggest is that he had one-on-one -on -one conversations with god uh, you'll see this also Gideon. Gideon wrestled with an angel or he spoke with an angel of the Lord. He looked at an angel of the Lord and he was afraid. And look what he says. He says, I was afraid because I, I saw the face of God. He saw the face of God, but what he saw was the face of an angel. But he was in fear because he was afraid when he saw God because of his own 
sinful nature. Now, the Bible says that God is spirit, so we attribute face and body, uh, uh, physical forms to God. But God is spirit, so it's not just important about what does God's face look like, but what does God's face look like when it's looking at you? What does God's face look like when it's looking at you? Now, we go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It says, Paul says in this verse, that God who said, let there be light in the darkness. It says, it says he said the same God that tells us, the same God that spoke life into existence, the same God that spoke things that are not as though they were, the same God that said, let there be light in the midst of darkness is the same God that shines his light in our hearts. But here's why. So that we can know the glory of God. Where? Seen in the face of Jesus. It's so that we can know the glory of God that is, the, what is the glory of God? Oh, you can find the glory of God in the face of Jesus. So what do I see when I see the face of Jesus? Well, I want to suggest that when we look at the face of Jesus, what we see is perfect love. You just got to see the way Jesus looked at people. I wonder sometimes, well, how did Jesus make people feel when he looked at them? How did, what did Jesus communicate by his look? What did Jesus communicate with his body language? What did com Jesus communicate with his eyes? What did Jesus communicate with his facial expression? How did Jesus make people feel when he looked at them? And all you have to do is go to the scripture. And I just, I look at these scriptures and I can't help to think that when you look at Jesus, anytime that you saw the face of Jesus' earthly ministry. At the end of the day, we might not know what he looks like, but we can know how he looked at people. What face he used to look at people. And in Mark chapter 10, verse 21, it says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Speaking of the rich young ruler, a man that was trying to gain approval a man that was question, asking Jesus how what must I do to be saved what must I do to receive eternal life and the Bible says that Jesus looked at him and loved him I wonder how that made him feel he looked at him and he loved him Jesus looked at him and he loved him Luke chapter 7 verse 13 it says when the Lord saw her his heart overflowed with compassion. I, I think this begins to reveal what kind of what kind of facial expression Jesus had when he looked at people. Matthew chapter 9 verse 36 it says, but when he saw the crowds, he was when he what? Oh when he looked at the crowds. When he saw the crowds, he what he had he had compassion. He had compassion. See, now you read these verses and it begins to create the image of in which we ought to see how God looks at us. For you need to look no further than Jesus to know what God's face looks like. Because in the face of Jesus, what you will find is the glory, the totality of his glory that is seen in the face of Jesus. And when you look at Jesus' earthly ministry, the way he made people feel by his look was one that made them feel loved and of his concern. And sometimes I think that we begin to project on Jesus the, the faces that have looked at us 
or the significant faces that had looked at us in our experiences. So many times we project on Jesus the mask or the face of our parents. And then that's why you hear people say it all the time. Oh, Jesus, you know, God pulled me by the ears. No, your parents pulled you by the ears. God slapped me up this week. No, your parents slapped you up this week. Oh, God, he gave me a punch. No, somebody else did. And so we begin to project that on God. And many times we think that God is just like, what kind of face do we project on God? How do we perceive the way God is looking at us? This is so important. Like, how do we perceive how God is looking at us? Because I think that the way we perceive he's looking at us is the way we will approach him. I'm going to say that again. The way we perceive God's face towards us is the same way we will approach him, is directly connected with how we're going to approach him. And so many of us, I've seen people, good, well-meaning believers who approach God as if God is sitting on his throne in some sort of disappointed face, just waiting to be impressed and waiting to see if his, his children are doing enough. And so we, uh, we approach God as a God that wants you to do more. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. That's okay. Okay. You prayed for about, for about 15 minutes, but that's not long enough. I'll wait for 30 minutes and then I'll show up. And sometimes we project that face on God. Like God is like the way we worship and the way we pray is as if the face of God is looking upon us, waiting for us to do more. Okay. That's not enough. You, you only fasted three days. That's not significant enough. And, and so what we begin to understand with our human understanding is that God might love us, but God doesn't necessarily like us. God loves us because we're family members and because, you know, you know, I love my brother. I love my mother because they're family, but I don't, I don't love, I mean, I don't like him. I mean, I just put up with him and we think that God is now a God that is disconnected and simply waiting for us. And that's why some of us, we, we end up praying. Like, have you seen people worship sometimes where they, they begin to worship as if Jesus Christ did not die on the cross? For, like as we're pleading and we're begging and God, we want, please, Lord, please, Lord, move, move on our behalf. God, God. And we like, God is sitting on the throne. Okay. Okay. I'm waiting for you to, I'm waiting on. Okay, now I can show my presence. When we don't realize that when we begin to worship, the moment we utter the name of Jesus, the Bible says that he'll inhabit that praise. That when we begin to glorify him, he inhabits that praise. He doesn't wait for you to pray for pray long enough. He doesn't wait for you. The moment you say the name of Jesus, because of what he did on Good Friday, that he died for our sins, and when God sees you, he does not see you, but he sees the image of his son in you. He loves his son with the totality of praise perfect love. And that is the same way that he loves you. He doesn't wait for you to arrive at some type of pinnacle of holiness so that he can now show his face. No, he shows his face. And by him showing his glory in the face of Jesus, what it produces in you is perfect love. So I think that I want to suggest for us today that, that could it be on this Easter Sunday that we have projected faces on God? I heard one point one person tell me that I need spankings from God from time to time. I need and 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 again, that's not God. That is that is your parents. Oh, but the Bible says that he chastises those he loves. He disciplines. Well, God's form of discipline is a lot different from our experiences. The way God loves is different from the way we've been loved. The way God the way God chastises and the way God's discipline is a lot different from the way we have experience. And so what kind of face are we projecting on God today? 
How, how do you think that God is looking at you today? When you fall in sin, when you drop the ball, when you mess up, do you think that he is still angry at you? Do you think that he's looking at you with eyes of disappointment and eyes, when you mess up, when you maybe do the thing that you shouldn't have done, do you see like, okay, huh? Don't talk to me. I give you my back. No, no, no. The Bible says that because of what Jesus Christ has done, that the Holy Spirit came into our lives. And even while we are still sinning, the Holy Spirit will never leave us nor forsake us. But he will continuously remind us and he will continuously convict us of the righteousness that was imputed in us while our sin was being imputed in Jesus on the cross of Calvary. For he says in Isaiah that he will, he would, the mountains will crumble before he would place his anger on humanity again. So God's glory is found in the face of Jesus. And when people saw the face of Jesus, they saw the face of love. God's glory is seen in the face of Jesus. And what is seen in the face of Jesus is perfect love. And, and, and this is what it means to be full of God's glory. I want to read Ephesians chapter 3. Look what it says. It says, this way, now this is the Apostle Paul allowing the church of Ephesus to peek behind the curtain of a prayer that he makes for them. This way, with all God's people, you will be able to understand, watch this, this way, and now verse before that, it'll talk about the Holy Spirit coming into lives. Look what it says. This way, once the Holy Spirit comes into your life, this way, with all God's people, you will be able to understand. You will be able to understand. What is it that we need to understand? What is it that you want us to understand, Paul? How wide, how long, how deep, how high his love is. What is it that you want us to understand? How wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. Paul, what is it that you want us to understand through the power of the Holy Spirit? How high, how long, how wide, how deep his love is. Now, verse 19. You will know Christ's love which goes far beyond any knowledge. In other words, you can arrive to the epitome of your level of understanding and knowledge and you will still come short of what his actual love is. But here's why. I'm praying this so that you may be completely filled with God. <sighs> I just want to be filled with God, you know. I want to be filled with God. To be filled with God and have not love, then you are being filled with something else. Because being filled with love is what allows you to be filled with God. For God is love. For God is perfect love. And, and this is important because understanding that when God fills you with his love, is so that he can fill you with the totality of who he is. And when you understand that you are loved by God, then you understand that you do not serve a schizophrenic God. You do not serve a God. Sometimes I think that we serve a God that likes us sometimes, and sometimes he doesn't like us. Like, like we, 
we humanize God in such a way that we attribute to him um, humanistic tendencies. And so we worship a God that we ourselves have created and projected. What do I mean? That even though we are serving the God of Abraham, we think the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob is the, is the, is the God that he'll, he'll, he'll love us while we're doing good, but he won't like us when we're doing bad. And so on Monday, woo, Monday, man, Monday, I read my Bible. Monday, I prayed. As a matter of fact, Monday, I did not eat breakfast until 6 p.m. I did not break my fast. God must be well pleased with me. Tuesday, oh, I said something I shouldn't have said. I looked at something I shouldn't have looked at. God must be displeased with me. And so one day God loves us. One day God does. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me. He loves me. He loves me not. And we think that we serve the schizophrenic God that is inconsistent with his emotional stability. And so one day he will love you and one day he won't. It's all depending on what you can do, on what you, how holy you can live, how well you can behave. And nothing dependent, nothing dependent on his character. What if I told you that God loves you no matter what? See, and, and, and I think sometimes we, we begin to formulate this idea based upon our interpretation of Scripture. And so when we read passages in Scripture where, where there were moments in which God in the Old Testament would allow the people of Israel, He would surrender them to their own devices. He would surrender them to their own choices. We think that God will abandon us and God will leave us. But even in the Old Testament, what you will find about God is that even those moments were temporary, but it was always Him who was initiating the act of love. It was always Him turning towards humanity, turning towards their sin, and speaking to their sin and saying, listen, this is going to lead you the wrong way, but if you turn to me. It was never His people turning to Him first. It was always God turning towards them. And I think sometimes the way we interpret scripture projects the image of God that we worship. And so uh, even in the story of the cross, we would see Jesus say words that we infer interpretation. And so we look at the cross of Calvary and what we find is traditionally we believe that in the cross that God the Father turns away from God the Son because he could not bear the sins of humanity. And so this is the image of God. This is the image of God that we serve. Okay, because God the Father turned, Pastor Road, you're saying that God won't ever turn away from us and God always looks at us with approval, but he didn't even do that for his son. He turned away from his son when he was dying on the cross. And I want to suggest to you, my friends, that nowhere in the Bible will we ever find a verse that says that while Jesus was on the cross, that God turned away. And I think well-meaning preachers and well-meaning, I've done it, I mean, well-meaning pastors and communicators of the gospel would infer this interpretation and would suggest that God in that moment turned away he gave his back to his son for he could not see 
sin that was being placed on his son. Because of God's holiness and God's righteousness, he could not even look upon sin. And I think that that's a great story, but I just don't think that it's biblically accurate. For again, my friends, we will never find in any passage of scripture, in any depiction of the Easter story, in any depiction of Jesus Christ dying on the cross, we would never find where God the Father turns away from Jesus. Now, well, Pastor Roy, where do they get, where, do this, where does this interpretation come from? Well, it comes from just simple words that Jesus says. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He says, Eli, Eli, laba sabatani. And so when Jesus says this, we infer now that God turned away from Jesus. Well, if you need to, if you read that and we want to take it in its literal form, that Jesus is suggesting to us that he has been abandoned and God didn't just turn his back. God abandoned him. It is suggesting what Jesus is literally feeling, that God completely abandoned. And so if we're going to take that interpretation, then we have to take the totality of what Jesus is saying, which is that God completely abandoned him. God didn't just turn his back. God didn't just hide. God abandoned him. There's a difference between me abandoning my children and the difference between me turning my back on my children. He completely abandoned it's, to, it's the way it's supposed to be understood. But I want to suggest to you that what Jesus is doing is that he is not even speaking to God. He is simply saying the title to a song that is found in Psalms chapter 22. Man, on this Easter Sunday, we are, our minds are going to be wrecked. Because you need to understand what Jesus is doing is that he is saying the title to Psalms chapter 22, which the listener would immediately recognize a familiar passage of the scriptures where David, the famous King David, would say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But what happens is, is that when you hear and you read Psalms chapter 22, it starts with David feeling like he's been forsaken by God because at that moment, David was being persecuted and those, his enemies were, had the, the better exchanges of the battle and he felt abandoned and he felt like God wasn't for him. But even in the passage of scripture, Psalms chapter 22, it ends with a rallying voice of triumph, triumph and victory. And so what Jesus is doing is that Jesus is res responding to what's being said about him. They're saying, well, if you're the son of God, just set yourself free. If you were God, you could have just saved yourself. Well, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you remember David? Do you remember David that at that moment he felt forsaken, but he realized even in that verse, even in that Psalm, even in that chapter, that he recognized that God had never left him, that God will still give him the victory. And this is what you see right now. You think that this is a moment of fors being forsaken. You think that this is the end. You think that this is death, but what you don't understand that abundant life is about to be introduced that resurrection is about to be introduced that abundant life is about to be permeated through human existence what you don't realize is that those that are sick will now be healed what you don't realize that right now those that that are suffering will now will will be comforted what you don't realize is that everything is about to change not because my god has forsaken me but because my god looks at me with eyes of pleasure and he's waiting with his 
his arms wide open and he's saying, my son, I am with you every step of the way. For it was not the human side of Jesus that was able to contain and absorb the sins of humanity. For even my humanity, frail and fickle self will, be will not be able to pay for one sin, but it was the totality of who God is. It was the magnitude of who God is. It was the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit who God is that was present at that moment. It was not God the Father who turned away. It was not the Holy Spirit that took a walk. But it was at that very moment that God had his eyes and his hands wide open. His eyes looking at his son. His son dying on the cross. The Holy Spirit about to enter human history. It was at that moment where everything changed. With just one look, everything changed. Everything changed at that moment. Jesus was dying on the cross. But his father never turned his back. His father was there with open arms. For, for the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit did not stop existing. It was at that moment that the totality of who God is was present the totality of who he is was present why is this important pastor Rowe? the reason that this is important it's it's because god did not retreat from the heartbreak of and agony of jesus on the cross god is always running towards us god is always running towards us if you look at the picture of adam sinning what happened it was adam who turned away and it was god who went towards their sin and God covered them. He puts to death our guilt. He puts to death our shame and he puts to death death. He not only died, but he resurrects three days later. And why is the resurrection important? Because if we don't understand the power of his resurrection, we will live within the context of guilt and we will live within the context of a God that turns away. And here's where we pick up the story. John chapter 20. It says, after she said this, she turned away and saw Jesus standing there. So she was speaking to the angels, but then she turns away from the angels and she looks towards Jesus. Now watch this. She did not recognize Jesus because she was expecting Jesus to be dead. So she didn't recognize him because it's impossible for him to be alive. No, she expected him to be dead. But she didn't recognize him, so she spoke to her. So Jesus spoke to her, woman, why do you weep? Who are you looking for? Now she thinking that he was a gardener, which is amazing because God is always gardening in the Garden of Eden. God was the gardener covering up the sins of humanity. Mister, if you, if you took him, tell me where you put him so I can care for him. And Jesus said, Mary, now watch this, turning to face him. She said in Hebrew, Rabboni, meaning teacher. Turning, so she was talking to him, but she wasn't turned towards him. But the news is that he was already turned towards her. I wanna let you know that that is what salvation is. I want to let you know that God has already turned his face towards you. 
God is already looking at you. And some of us are still not able to recognize God's face because we're still serving God as if he, didn't not, if he did not die for our sins. So we're approaching God like, like, like Mary was. Sir, if, if you know where you put him and our head's down or we're turned away or we can't look at God, but the Bible tells us the opposite. The Bible tells us in Hebrews that because of his grace that we can approach his throne with confidence that we can just walk in God you're here God. and sometimes we're approaching God as if he has not paid for our sins and so we're begging him to do something he's already done that we simply need to accept what kind of face do you think that God is looking at you with today what, what kind of facial expressions do you perceive of God when you are praying to him because I want to submit to you today that when, when, when Jesus looked at Mary, he looked at her with the face of love. That's why love is our logo. Because what Jesus carried on his face, what was seen on his face is the glory of God. And the glory of God is the perfect love of God. And that's why when love fills you, the fullness of God's glory, according to Ephesians, also fills you. Love is our logo is because he first loved us. When, when she looked and she turned towards Jesus, I wonder if she found a face that looked at her with disappointment. I wonder if she found a face that was, was uh, are, are you serious? Are you really looking for me here when you know I should have resurrected? You should have known better. I, I think sometimes we serve a God that looks at us with this face. You should have known better. You should have known better. You should have known better. And from the moment we accept Jesus through faith, we, we project this mask on God. Oh, you should have known better. But God wants us to know today that he looks at you with the face of love. And I, and I want to let you know why that's important. Because look, look what happens in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. It says, but even to this day, when Moses is read, the veil is in their hearts. Nevertheless, when anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Did you get that? Did you get that? That even many of us were still reading the Old Testament as if the veil hasn't been removed? We're still reading the books of Moses as if the veil hasn't been removed? And so we'll, 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 good meaning believers will start preaching and start teaching as if the veil hasn't been removed. Now the Lord is spirit. Let me let you know it. The Lord is spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all seeing the glory of the Lord with unveiled faces as in a mirror are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord. In other words, when we see God with unveiled faces, we can see the face of love looking at us. But when we see the face of, of God looking at us, here's what it does. It makes us more like the face that we are looking at. So now I can read the letters of Moses with unveiled faces. And I can read Numbers chapter 6 verse 22 with an unveiled face. And I want to close out because 
I think this is a moment where we need to remove the masks, not only on our face, but we need to remove the masks we've placed on God. We need to remove the filters that we've placed on God based upon our experiences, based upon our upbringing, based upon our religious persuasions. Just remove the mask and just see God with the face of love. He not only loves you with perfect love, but he likes you and he wants you. And he wants you. He's not going to abandon you. He adopts you. So I could read Numbers chapter 6. Look what it says. And we're going to sing this as a song in a moment. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons. I want you, Moses, to tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Moses, I want you to tell Aaron, who carries the authority to bless Israel, this is how you are to bless Israel. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face, his what? His face. Israel was petrified of God's face. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord, the Lord turn his face towards you. I want Israel to know that my face is always turned towards you. That my face is always turned towards you. You need not to be afraid because I will give you peace. So they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. Woo! There's a song called The Blessing. And what the lyrics represent is a God that looks upon his people with love. That a God that will shine his face upon us. And I want to take these moments. I want to just pray with, one, with, with each other. Let's just pray. And I want to invite you to receive this experience, this love. Who God is. The glory of God is seen in the face of Jesus. And I want to give you this opportunity where maybe you've thought God was angry at you or maybe you were just afraid and so many of us are, are, are maybe listening and have thought man I, I need to get some things in order before I even come to God so that when I come to God God will be like alright finally finally no no God doesn't look at you God looks at you like that with open arms and he says welcome home welcome home if you're listening today I want to pray for you and right there where you are in your living room in your kitchen maybe in your bedroom I want to ask you to, to raise your hand if, if you feel in this moment that you want to encounter this love. And if you do, and you want to surrender your life to this love, to Jesus, right there where you are, at the count of three, I just want you to lift your hand. One, two, three. I can't see the hand, but God sees your hand. And I believe that every hand that is raised every, is an indication of a heart that's being transformed. So I want you to join me in this prayer. As a matter of fact, we're here with a room of four or five people and we're going to pray this together with you. I just want to repeat this few words after me. Say, Dear Jesus, come into my life. I place my trust in you. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your love. From this day forth, I am a new creation. 
because you died for me and rose again. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Listen, if you, if you said that prayer today, I want you to just take a few moments to go to kuha.com slash new. And right there, there's an area that says, I made a decision to follow Jesus. I want you to click on that and let us know that today you've encountered true love. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Our mission here at Christ Uncensored House of Worship is to love God, love people, and love life. Kuhau is a place where our story is still being written. Together, we can do more than we can ever do alone. If this message has encouraged you and you wish to partner with us in taking this message all across the world, go to kuhau.com slash give or follow us on any social media platform. Thank you in advance for your support and generosity. Come and begin a whole new journey with us.